Hello and welcome to the Gaming Moguls Podcast, the only podcast that's a legacy podcast. I'm your host tonight, Mark Teske, along with my co-host, Mr. Jake Klopfenstein. Jake, how you doing? I'm doing well, so I was discarded. However, I was not torn up. You are one of those legacy people who does not tear up the cards you are no longer using. I know. Is that, actually, is that the joke? Did, did I get it right? You did. The last Thank episode, you. we actually uh, were told to discard you and rip you up. Yet we didn't. We just God, put you, you in the back sh- of the box and have. we look, we reset the game and now you're back again. You should have. I should be that like little card that says like you die or something and you rip me up. <laughs> I should be the character who died. Just just get me out of here. Well, it feels good to be back, buddy. It's nice. You were, you were phased out. I was. It's a whole new train game. I am the, the, the marvelous 3T that's always good in every game. It feels good to be back. So we didn't really cover it, but I just, I'm not playing games as much as Mark is. So at least for the time being, we thought it'd make sense for me to kind of like go to like an every other aspect and things are looking good. Hopefully we should get gaming again pretty soon, probably more in the order of weeks than months, which is awesome. The way things are going here in the US, I can't speak for everywhere in the world, of course, but um, at least in our neck of the woods, a great number of the people that I know in my circle have been vaccinated. And I think we're going to be able to start meeting at least privately somewhat regularly in the near future. So, oh, it's been a long year, Jake. Totally. And it's been without games. However, (laughs) we have played some games recently. Why don't we talk about it? We have. A lot of my gaming has actually been with my family. In fact, who am I kidding? All of my gaming has been with my family. Fortunately, my family's good at gaming and games a lot. So I have actually done a lot of gaming, though we haven't gamed, but we still have lots to talk about. Jake, this year at Christmas, or shortly thereafter, I got together with you to play a game of Frolf. You certainly did. And at that point in time, our good friend J-Mac gave me my Christmas present. And part of that Christmas present included a gift card to one of our favorite little local gaming stores called Lodestone. I decided I would take that fine little gaming card down there and see what $25 would get me at Lodestone. And I came home with the game Decrypto by Thomas Dagonet L'Esperance. Sure. We'll that was wonderful. Right. Published locally by Yellow. I've always liked the game code names. I always felt a little homeworky, so I haven't been really going for it. And I see that Decrypto is actually listed as the number one party game in Board Game Geek. So all of these things together meant that this was probably something I was going to like. And you know what, Jake? We did. <laughs> I, I would imagine. That was, that was a long pause. <laughs> yes. Um, so Decrypto, it's a lot like Codenames. If you've ever played Codenames, the idea is you've got... It has the red screen, right? Correct. Where you like, yeah. can only see certain color or certain words because like the red covers up the red. Correct. Yeah, it's kind of got the red blue overlay thing. And until you put the screen on there, you can't see what the word is. Awesome. The idea is you have four words and you're trying to communicate those four words in the clear to your partner, but not to the other team. So you're going to make up words that represent those four words. They're going to try to guess what your words match up to the four words that they can see. But the other team doesn't know what those are. So over subsequent rounds and trying to draw comparisons of the okay. His word is mountain, and he used the word whistler and dew and Game of Thrones. Oh, mountain. Got it. The mountain. Sure. Uh, mountain, dew, Game of Thrones. That mountain. This one must be mountain or some, you know, something like that. They all have something in common. So they're actually trying to guess the three-digit number that represents the positions of those words on our screen through subsequent kind of deduction of correlating words that go together. You're expressly forbidden from using like inside jokes. So you can't like, you know, do this little thing with your uh, partner where you use their pet name and nobody else knows it. It has to be something everybody else at the table knows. 
And you're also forbidden for doing any clues that describe the structure of the word. You know, what does it rhyme like or how many letters does it have or something like that? Pretty typical word game kind of restrictions. Yeah, exactly. Jake, we promptly played it three times back to back that night. And then it's been nonstop demand to play it ever since then. This game is fantastic. I'm going to go out on a side point here that I think is kind of interesting because I think you are describing like the best feeling in gaming. And it mm-hmm. feels like it happens with all these word games where you find the one you like and you play the absolute crap out of it and then you get bored of it. Because we played Codenames recently and I am so bored of that game. Sure. And so I'm wondering if I should just try out to crypto or something like that. Or the other one I thought was neat was like that wavelength game. Yep. We have to twist the little dial. Yeah, I haven't tried that one yet, but they seem fun. There's just something so nice. I can't see getting bored of this one because there's a pretty fat deck. And even if you had kind of seen this, if you shuffled them all up and mixed them up, there's like an infinite number of tricky ways you can think to communicate the word mountain that doesn't involve just Rocky. You know, you could use like John Denver or something like that. As long as it correlates to one thing on there, but not something else on there, you can use some pretty abstract things. One of our words was poison, and I, I threw out the clue olive. Oh, Everybody at the table knows how much I hate olives, so that was a legal clue. Olive and C.C. DeVille, right? How do you draw a parallel between those two? Well, it's obvious if you're looking at the same words we have. C.C. DeVille is the guitar player for the band Poison, and olives uh, are poison. Uh, uh. You're a smart man. So highly recommended, Jake. Knowing how you like word games and knowing that you're kind of sick of your other word games, I think you'd really like this one. Well, there's something to be said about having your party game you're interested at that point in time. We had Insider for a while, you know, then I did try to do Fake Outers Coast New York and do the production restrictions there. It just didn't really sell as well. Whereas this one's super easy to teach. I, I can't see anybody having a bad time with this game. I think Uncle Kirk has this game. It has been a big uh, evangelical spreader. Is that the right term? No, what's it called? Proselytizer? Big proselytizer. He's been spreading the good word of decrypto, but I have yet to play it. Looks sweet. What would you give it on the mogul scale? This is a 1A. It's tricky. You know, not to say it's a not tricky because it's a 1A. There's not really strategy behind it. The strategy is just come up with words that your partner can figure out and nobody else can. Awesome. And the rules are super simple. So uh, it's decrypto. Thomas Dagonet L'Esperance, published by Yellow. I've been kicking it old school with games. My grandparents recently got vaccinated, so I went down and saw them for the first time in a long, long, long time, probably about 15 months. And it was really nice. Wait, 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 wait. 15, two months? 15, two? Yes. (laughs) Good good transition. I was like, what do you mean by that? I played cribbage, which is a a big thing you do in cribbage is you count the cards by saying 15, two, if they're pairs of 15s. Pardon me, not pairs of 15. No pairs added to 15. By, I don't know, some guy in like England in like the 1600s or something along those lines invented this game. But it's it's probably my favorite card game that you play with a deck of cards that isn't poker. Yep. And it's it's so fun. It's such a good way to pass the time. So in college, I used to play this all the time with my good roommate, Cole. And we just play it while we're watching TV or just hanging out. And it's something so fun to do. And my grandparents are big fans of it. And my mother-in-law has been learning it. So it's been just really fun. Played again. And I was kind of sad because Anna doesn't like this game as much as other people I spend time with. And it's just so fun. Cribbage is great. And if you don't know how to play Cribbage, learn it because it's like the best card game. So a couple things about Cribbage. Number one, I'm curious about how much of a regionality is there to this? Like, is Cribbage popular in Alabama? I don't know. know. Or is Domino's fit that niche or something or some other Mahjong? Mahjong or I I don't I don't know. I, I definitely Cribbage is popular here in the Midwest. And the North, I just, I wonder if it is everywhere else in the U.S. Yeah, I do too. But it's, it's awesome. So what you're doing in this game is you're dealt six cards. 
Um, depending on who's the dealer, you get to have extra cards. You take those six cards and you discard two into the crib is what they call it. And then you kind of score points. You get points for doing runs, you get points for pairs, and you get points for doing 15s. That's why Mark said 15 too, because that's kind of the way you count it up. <laughs> so you can go 15 2, 15 4, 15 6, all that stuff. And it's just fun. You end up kind of getting the most points in the first two 200. It's just so funny too, as using this as kind of a lens for looking at modern board games. While I was teaching, it was so frustrating because I'd say, um, okay, well, if you cut a jack, I get two points. And she was like, why? It's like, I don't know. This is the rules. That's just how the game works. So much of board games now at least have some sort of focus to try to have the the, the games and the rules be somewhat grokkable. Sure. Some thematic reason for why a rule as it is other right. than just a, yeah, it's just a rule. Even if it's hand wavy, like, well, in 1830, the, bears, the shares in the market payout versus the IPO, which should be flipped if it was actually a real financial simulation. And it's just nice to be able to explain that. And it's really frustrating when you go back and you're unable to do that and just be like, just because I felt like a a, a parent scolding a three-year-old. <laughs> this has to be a byproduct of a game that came from the 1600s. And if, if I'm not mistaken, this is like the oldest game that can be actually attributed to one specific person. Yeah, probably. I think so. It is funny. One last thing about cribbage, because it's just the best. I got in a shouting match at a party once with a friend of a friend because he was under the impression that it was who got points for getting the other person to cut the deck when you're like not supposed to in that game. Oh, right. Yep. Yeah. Like he tried to get me and I can't remember. I tried to get him and he cut it. And he was saying that like the person who cuts the deck, not the person who offered the player to get a, um, to cut the deck gets a peg. And it was I mean, it was it was all in good fun. It was like a pretend argument. It was heated. Yeah, no, the whole point there is to, it's, it's a bluffing thing, right? Where you kind of bluff the pulling the cards up and hoping somebody else will get suckered into drawing one right then. Correct. And he was under the other impression. It's that if anybody was stupid enough to offer it to you, you should get it. And I think the way we resolved it is whose person who taught them the game was older. <laughs> like, so my oh. grandpa was like, I don't know, my grandpa was born in like 43 or something. And <laughs> his was older, so we ended up trumping. But I think he's wrong. Yes. Listeners, let me know. Let, let, let me know how some regional rules. And if you play cribbage, because Mark and I are big fans. Yep. I, too, played hundreds of games in college. And this is a family tradition that rarely a holiday goes by that there is not a family cribbage game that goes on. Awesome. So what else have you been playing? Another game that I've been playing is a game that was willed to me by Mr. Jake Klopfenstein. Well, willed Ooh. in terms of some dollars exchanged. This is Trade on the Tigress by Jeff Engelstein and Ryan Sturm, published by TMG. It's an auction game, functionally, where you're trying to actually build up sets of things, and you're trying to get influence on both a political scale and on a religious scale. The farther you go up on either one of those scales to the left or right, the more powers you get towards that particular political system or that particular god, which allows you to score better points or do nasty things to other people. I pulled this one out with my family just last week, and it was a massive hit, Jake. So thank you so much for trading that to me. I can't tell you the joy my kids have when they would slip me one of these red disaster cards as part of a trade because you're allowed to lie in the trade and say what it's not. And they would just lie with a straight face and hand me one of those disaster cards and then steadfast refuse to trade with me for the rest of the round. It was great fun. It's so fun. And you just feel so evil. You just have a little sly, little like squint in your eye. Just like, this is totally fine. <laughs> There's something fun about like kids lying in a safe and productive way. And it's so funny because my daughter has no poker face at all. I've, I have already told her that she should never play poker because she has just a horrible poker face. But she fooled me. 
instead of getting a big grin on her face when she's got a big hand, she just started grinning nonstop. <laughs> so then I could no longer tell. Other funny note, too. Um, my son and I gave an identical lie to each other and traded each other the exact same card and then gave each other the little uh, the little dude head nod, the little attaboy. <laughs> nice. The table. That's awesome. <laughs> that's so fun. I do think we have to undo this trade, though. I think you need to give it back to me. Once COVID, we're vaccinated and life's back to normal, we take a flight to either Iraq or uh, Turkey Ooh. where the Tigris starts and we I give you this game we, we on, on the Tigris. <laughs> on the Tigris. We give it to each other. I'm sure the logistics of this will be thousands and thousands of dollars for an Instagram post that's probably going to get 47 likes. But <laughs> it'd be, it'd the be 47 it. people that own and have played this game. Yeah. And also like are aware <laughs> that like it's on the Tigers. I don't know. It'd be fun. It'd be something fun to do. Long and short of it. I got my clock cleaned by my 12 year old daughter. It was ugly. She beat us so badly. She uh, she's apparently a better liar than she lets on because she <laughs> traded all of us pretty handily. Well, that's great. I'm happy she did it. It's it's fun. It, that, that game's fun. It's not it's one of those games that I think is more situational. I um, mean, I think that's a big reason I got rid of it. It's like yes, you like these kind of games a little bit more than me. You have a bigger group. And I thought it'd go well with your family as a kind of like an intro to what's the other trading game? The one in the space. Oh, uh, yes. Actually, I brought that up. I brought that up after we played it. I'm like, hmm, if you guys like playing this one, you should really try out Sidereal Confluence. Yes, exactly. That one where it's just enough of a like intro into like, do you like this game where, but it almost feels I'm not going to say disposal, but it, it, it feels progressional. Like you, you, you use this game to progress onto a different game kind of thing, but it's still fun. It's great to play and it can totally work with the right group. But yeah. And I think gatekeeper, maybe it's a great gatekeeper for trading games, right? Yeah. But in a good in, way, in a good way. Yes. Cause not everybody likes trading games. I've come to learn that the hard way. That there are some people that just want to build their little sandcastle and they don't want anybody to touch it. And if that's who you are, you will hate this game. You will hate any other trading game. And for sure, you will hate (laughs) Sidereal Confluence. So, yeah, I think this is a training wheels for Sidereal Confluence. Awesome. So trade on the Tigris. I'm going to give this. I don't know if we rated this before. Probably not. Maybe we did. I think it's a 3B. Don't you? I think it's a 3B for the person who's running the game. I think there's a case to be made. It's a 2B if you just show up at the table. Sure. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. It's actually pretty easy to play because there's just lockstep rounds that are pretty simple. But yeah, there is there is a little bit of complexity around trying to figure out like all the symbols that you have and how all the special powers work in conjunction with each other and stuff like that. Well, that's great. I'm happy you're getting some use out of it. I'm happy it stayed in the family because I do want to play that game again. It just I don't know. I, I'm not going to play that game without you and without yep. the game group. So it seems like a yep. good one to send off to the farm. No, it's a winner. I'm I'm happy to save it from uh, somebody else getting their grubby little mitts on it. Speaking of pretty great region themed games that are light and Euroy, um, I played a bunch more Santa Monica. Got together with Kirk a little bit ago, which is nice for a nice little Sunday morning game day, and played a couple of games of Santa Monica. And this game is just as charming, just as amazing as I remember it being when we first played it. Feels like forever ago. Yeah, it's delightful. Um. Have you found that your kind of games are getting a little samey at all, or is there still enough variety no. in it? I think there's enough variety in it because they just are kind of scoring things. They're not necessarily like, sure. change that. It kind of just changes the focus on what cards are important and at what time you want to get them. But I found it pretty good. I think the only way it could get samey is this game's so quick that pretty much every time we've played it, we've played it twice. And then the rule becomes, well, we just played that one. So let's do a completely oh, different right, one right. between let's those two. 
However, that being said, this game, in my humble opinion, is one of the games that needs an expansion more than any other. Like it is such a good game. Mm -hmm. Just do more of the same. Give me more cards. Give me more of those scoring things. You know, I think that'd be an awesome thing. I don't know how well this game sold, but it's so charming. I'd I'd like more weird cards and maybe not too weird, but just more of the same. It just I need more. I just want more. This thing was released right kind of in the in the heat of COVID. And, you know, I really wonder how many people actually heard about it, because it's certainly a game that I think I would have heard of. And outside of my friends that owned it and liked it. I heard nothing about this game. Yeah, I mean, I I do wonder if it's just some post-purchase cognitive dissonance from uh, the people who own Wingspan, because here comes some uh, hot takes time from your boy Jake. This game is (laughs) just a better Wingspan. Like it does very similar things. We're building a tableau. You do some actions. It's better art. It's more accessible. The rules kind of grow as you play because you don't need to know it all off the get-go. You can kind of look at each card and say, okay, well, what does this one do again? It's easy to grok. It's it's a game. I like this thing a lot. And I, I do wonder if just Wingspan has its little little fingers in all the different games and a lot of people's collections that they just kind of have that game in the slot. But for somebody who doesn't really love Wingspan, I was looking for something like that because it's a good kind of experience. But Wingspan's it's just way too heavy for what it is. And Santa Monica is a lot lighter, punchier, and it's just really quaint. What I really appreciate about Santa Monica over the Wingspan experience is I have come to really dislike engine builders. Engine builders are great when you're the one running your engine and they're awful for everybody else at the table. I'm going to do this 17 things and I'm going to put these tokens over here and then I'm going to feed my bird this and he's going to poop out this kind of token, which I'm going to then convert over and feed that bird. And then I'm going to move that egg here and I'm going to put those six eggs over here and I'm going to put that over there and then I'm going to collect four more worms and then I'm going to put that on the birdhouse. Then I'm going to. Meanwhile, I'm sitting back just falling asleep. I'm like, oh, I got to wait for three more players to do this. <laughs> I don't want to do this. Hurry up. I mean, this is the reason I sold Terraforming Mars because I can't stand waiting for that. This game does not have that. It's an engine builder for sure. Well, the decision space is just smaller. It's just smaller. Yeah. You have Turns like are short four things quick. or those special power things that you're probably limited to because you don't have enough sand dollars for. You don't get in this big chain of infinite turns. Right. It never slogs down into a slog like Wingspan does. All right. Well, I am convincing myself that I need this game. This is probably the game that I like the most that's not in my collection right now, and I'm going to buy it. <laughs> you, you're like the head cheerleader of this game. I know. Group, and so. I keep on buying well, I did buy it for you under yep. the slight impression that you might not like it, just based on your thoughts on Tableau Builders, even though you do like Tableau Builders. I just I do. don't think you like Wingspan. I don't like tableau builders that have like some big complex engine thing at the end of the rainbow. Right. right. And so I bought it for you and I was like, maybe Mark will like this game or maybe he won't. And I'll get it from him. <laughs> Doesn't like it because all gifts, little pro tip. If you're buying gifts, get something that you're fine keeping. And then it just, it's just better. You know, that's just him, how it works. By the way, if you don't like this, by the way, I'll, I'll take it back. That's the right way to do it. Maybe I like light tableau builders. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty silly mechanism to really like stretch into a big game and it can really get AP prone. And so if you don't limit it in some way or make the powers get like too out of hand, it just gets out of hand. But anyway, I love Santa Monica. It's probably going to be my like game that I recommend to friends whenever they say, hey, I am got a Christmas gift for my friend. I know he likes board games. So that is Santa Monica. Designed by Josh Wood, published by AEG, Alderac Entertainment Group. And we're giving this bad boy a 2B. I think this is like the quintessential light-ish hero that you can get family members to play, but has some strategy in it. You know, it's, it's totally fine. It's not below its weight, not above its weight. It's good. Perfectly agree. 
Speaking of sleepy little towns on the ocean, oh, master of transitions at work here. Just sit back <laughs> and watch the master do his magic. I played a game that has been on my shelf of shame for a long time. Not the Mark shelf of shame, the Jake shelf of shame, meaning that I have never played this game ever. And it's been sitting on my shelf, looking at it, taunting me. And the reason it's there is because I visited the town of Burano a spring break two years ago. And uh, just love the little town, love the experience, fond memories. And I have a habit of buying games from places that I've uh, named after places that I've been. So there's a game called Burano. I have to own it. So I bought this game called Burano. It's been sitting on my shelf forever. And I finally got a chance to pull it out and try it with my family. Burano designed by Yu Chen Seng, published by Emperor S4. So Burano is one of the oddest Euros that I've played in a really long time. It's also rather heavy <laughs> and like the rules aren't that difficult, but it's really different than any. I like I couldn't even tell you what this game is like. And as such was difficult to kind of figure out how the rules work and how to play it. So like the action selection mechanism is a cube pyramid. Hmm. The first part of the round, you all have a simultaneous thing where you build this cube pyramid of different colored cubes. And then as you take turns going around the table, you have to pick a cube off the top, Mahjong style. And the color cube that you pull off dictates what action you can do. There's like four different main eras or whatever you want to call them, four different rounds. And then every round it resets like what cube means what. And you can trade in cubes at the end of each round to get a whole bunch of bonus points, or you can buy additional cubes. But if you don't have enough cubes, you can't do actions. And it, it's a very odd game. And ultimately, what you're trying to do is you're trying to use these cubes to then build a village out in the middle of the board that you put like roofs on to sort of look like all the multicolored houses out in the island of Burano. Well, meanwhile, going around, uh, sailing around the island, collecting sets of fish. It was a really nifty game. Felt like nothing else I've ever played before. I think we maybe got half the rules wrong because it was so weird and it was so hard to compare it to anything else we've ever played. Mm -hmm. that we just screwed up a lot of rules. But everybody agreed that, hey, now that we've got one under our belt, we really want to try this again because ultimately everybody enjoyed it quite a bit. But we're talking 3D land on the mogul scale. It's a heavy euro for sure. I think it's always interesting to play a game that makes you forget what it's like to have all this knowledge of how euros work under our yes. belt. Yes, well put. Because they're so like iterative and they keep on building on each other. And I think that makes this. I'm circling back to Wingspan again. This is just the anti-Wingspan podcast. People who play Euros think that's a great family weight game. But if you actually play with like people who don't know Euros, there's like a lot of cognitive load in that game. Right. And it's nice to play this. And I'm looking at the board right now on BGG and this thing looks weird. It's like 3D. You got some water. You got some like buildings built out. You got some roofs. This is fun. It's a really unusual game and um, hard, hard to grok the strategy, hard, to, hard, like the rules actually, like I said, they're not that difficult. Once you understand them, it's just that you can't relate them to anything that you've done before. Hmm. This is one I'd certainly like to try with you. I think you'd do well at it. I don't think you'd think it was fiddly because it's not, but there might be some rules challenges coming up on it, but you're pretty quick with rules. So I, I think you're okay. I think this is an older game too, right? It's been around for a while. It has, yes. And it... it 2015. Has, it, 2015. It never was super popular, probably because A, it's weird and B, it's heavy. Yep. No, this is something I'm now super happy to own and super happy to have gotten off my shelf of shame. And uh, we will definitely play this again as a family, if nothing else. I find it interesting whenever you do BGG and they have that fans also like page. 
usually I know at least one game and that helps me kind of like place where I think this game would be. Uh-huh. I have played none of the recommendations here. Have you played Roundhouse, Guilds of London, Papa Paolo, <laughs> Passing Through Petra, Minerva or Carthago, Merchant and Guilds? I've not heard of any of those games. <laughs> I've heard of some of them and I think they're good, but it almost seems like if you were to make like an AI invent like trading in the Mediterranean games, like that would be what it'd come up with. Yeah, it's interesting. It um theme, sewing, knitting, and cloth making. Well, hmm. that, that is actually a big theme. It's actually that part of it's kind of an area control mini game. So you're gonna send workers off to go to a uh, cloth making guild and you score I can't even explain this. There's like different regions in those and you score for having the majority in each regions. And if you cover up certain things, you get bonuses. So weird. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm, I'm excited to play it. I mean, add it to the pile of games that we have to get played <laughs> once, <laughs> once we're doing that. Um, and I, I don't know if a weird Euro game that from 2015 is at the top of our list. No, but, for sure not. No, but it's, for sure it's not. cool that there's there's it's always nice when you feel like, you know, the gaming world somewhat well and you stumble upon a rabbit hole of six recommendation games in a game that we've never played before. That feels unlike anything else. So and I think it was definitely a big plus that I have a player two under my belt on this one, because if I would have just tried to cold teach this one, it would flop hard. Oof, oof, oof. Yeah, there is no chance this would go well. So. Anyway, that is my experience with Burano by Yu Chen Seng, published by Emperor S4. I actually, that's a publisher that I like just about everything they do. So Emperor S4, I believe they're an Asian publisher based in Taiwan. Yes, Correct. Taiwan, Taiwan, Taiwan. Yep. Yeah, they do a lot of interesting games. Some that are actually I'm big favorites of like they publish Hanami Koji, which is a plus. They do Walking in Burano. No, that's a How sick weird game. is that they have two Burano titles? The guy is just a Buranophile. He loves it. <laughs> For sure. Well, if you've ever been there, you'd understand why. It's I think the I, place, I, the place I is delightful. And then uh, Walking in Kyoto, which is another game that I have, which is a little two player kind of hidden movement game. I have never been to Venice. So, no, I have not been to Burano. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite places ever. So. I just don't like pigeons, so I'm trying to avoid Venice. Speaking of uh, places that I have been, I recently crossed over a location of one of the games that you have on your recently played list. I was cutting through Kansas, if that gives away anything about what game I'm talking about. Were you going along the Great Western Trail? I was. There were signs on the road that said Great Western Trail. I couldn't believe it. That's where the board game was invented. You know, you can uh, do all that fun stuff. So, Jake, do we need to, like, exchange copies of it? No, that's across the Great Western Trail. We'll have to drive to Kansas for no apparent reason and drive back. (laughs) No, um, that that same aforementioned game day that I got together with Kirk and a couple other guys. um, We also played Great Western Trail. And funny side note, I used to be I've gotten out of gaming shape. Um, We played two games of Santa Monica and a game of Great Western Trail, and my brain was fried. That's all I had in me. I've just. (laughs) Absolutely have not flexed those gaming muscles in a way that I used to very often. But we played it, not to toot my own horn, Mark, but here comes a hair flip that you can't see because we're not on video. But oh, I won like pretty, pretty handedly. And it was like a game you win all the time, isn't it? Oh, I just I love I win all the time. I think my win, my total win percentage is three now. So, yeah, I'm dunking. I figured it out. It's really fun. I just love this game. It's so good. It's perfect. You think you played it correctly. (laughs) <laughs> finally this would be like uh iteration 2.39 of the different versions of this game we've played and we played it correctly all the correct ways we made sure to take nobody off the line with the little x on the uh thingamajig any of the dudes off the x with thingamajig had no issues there um played with 
a random assortment of buildings, which is fun. We just randomly drew them and all copied. It was, it was so fun. I love Great Western Trail and playing it at four with the rails to the north is just such a good experience. And it makes me sad that you've never played it with rails to the north. No, no, because to be fair, this also is a, perhaps a victim of, of COVID-19, right? I mean, because that came out not long before the COVID-19 thing hit. So I haven't really had opportunity to play it. Totally. It's awesome. Um, I really think you should do it. And here's the fun thing. You know, you always see those photos of people going really far on the train track and you're like, how did they do that? Yeah, that was me, Mark. I went all the way to the end twice. That's crazy. That's literally usually the last thing I even think of is going far on the train track. Mark, I'm the best. And it, and it worked and everyone applauded me and they said, wow, Jake, how can we be you? I want to, I, I think you're the coolest. And it, it worked out really well. And I'm, it didn't go to my head at all. I feel really confident <laughs> and normal about it. But yeah. Great Western Trail is awesome. If you haven't played it, it's such a good Euro and it doesn't seem like it worked because it really feels like a, everything in the kitchen sink game mechanism wise. But once you finally get down the rules, which read the rule book a little bit more carefully, it's such a cool experience. It's such a good Euro game. This is definitely a classic. Did you remember to allow your guys to start at any point along the trail? Correct. And that really changes the game. You wouldn't think it it would, but it changes it a lot. Listen to our previous podcast if you want to hear all our adventures and trying to get the rules of Great Western Trail correct, because we can't seem to do it. Yes. And I think we'll just throw Kirk under the bus because he'll never be on the podcast. And um, I'm blaming him. I've never read the rule book for this game. And I finally did just to make sure I knew all of it when there were so many rules issues. And it worked out well because now we know how to play and I only win now. So I've only... Do you own this one? Yes, I do. I own it with Rails to the North. Aha. I couldn't remember if you actually owned it or not. Yeah. Huge fan of this game. I actually might need to get an insert for it because I think this game will get played enough. Mm hmm. I was just thinking that because I actually just made Uncle Kirk a Great Western Trail insert. And I think it's nicer than the one I have. I went with a new design and I like this one better. I may make myself one. Super cool. Well, that was my play. It's uh, an Alexander Fister classic. I think we have this one at a 3D or a 4D, if I were to guess. Yep. And uh, quite high on our top 20 list, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, absolutely. I would imagine this is one of our anytime, anywhere, anyplace yep. Euro games. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, one of the evergreen titles in our collection, for right. sure. Will bring us home, man, with a spooky game. Kind of the biggest game of the bunch, kind of in terms of stuff, <laughs> is a Kickstarter delivery that I finally got after, wow, two years, maybe? It was a long wait for this one. It's The Sleeping Gods by Ryan Lockett and Red Raven Games. Jake, I loves me a Ryan Lockett game. I really do. I have mixed feelings, but I think they're good. You can certainly see the progression. Like they, they continue to, his storytelling games have gotten better over time. No question about it. And not only are they better at storytelling, they've become better games. But make no mistake, Sleeping Gods is still a sandbox game. So the notion is it's a bit of a steampunk theme. I guess that's, I don't know that that's completely accurate, but it's sort of a 1900 big storm on a steamship kind of thing. And you find yourself in this sort of alternate universe group of islands where you have to go wake up the gods in order to be let free from that. So the whole game is spent sailing around kind of from island to island. And it's a continuous map book where if you sail off the edge of a page, you kind of flip to a different page and there's a different map there that you're now on. Much like near and far and above and below, there's encounters that you can have on there. The whole idea is that you've got actually sort of a limited number of turns to explore as far as you can. Well, meanwhile, you carry over information from game to game. So like if you know where things are, you can kind of go more directly there and and do that stuff in future games. It's surprisingly difficult. Like. It Hmm. near and far is actually a fairly simple game. This one is a resource management challenge. Like we got ourselves in our first game 
into a bit of a death spiral where we were just, everybody was so fatigued and we didn't have any food and we didn't have any resources to get ourselves out. We couldn't make pancakes to raise our morale and to eliminate our fatigue because we didn't have any wheat and we had no way of getting wheat. So ultimately, we ended up calling it a fail and doing a reset and continuing the game on now that we kind of know how to play better. We were definitely doing things in a very inefficient fashion. So what happens in the game is every round, you always start by taking a ship action. Ship actions generally give you command tokens. They also eh, will maybe relieve a little fatigue or get you some additional resources or a few other things. So you take a ship action and then you do an event. You flip over an event card and then you have to either you have to resolve that before you go on. And a lot of times that's doing a challenge and challenges are involved with taking the crew members around the table and contributing their skills together to get over a certain token and then drawing fate, which is functionally rolling dice. You add that to your score of all the people that do on there. And if you have a higher total, you've succeeded at that challenge and then you get some benefit or avoiding some penalty. After that, you take two actions, which are usually travel or adventure or some, you know, go to a port or go to a market. Those are really the four things you can do. You get to do two of those and then you pass the captain token around the table. Everybody sort of gets to be the leader of their two party members as well as the captain when it's their turn. And you basically keep adventuring as long as you want. And when you're kind of done, there's a save game mechanism where you can pack it all up and put it back in the box. Boy, we, we loved this game the first time through. It's really, really been a lot of fun to play so far. Awesome. I'm happy that it's working because I remember his most recent game, I think maybe there was one between these, but it was a Empires of the Void game and it totally flopped for me. I didn't give it a great chance, but I'm kind of of the mindset of games don't immediately grab you. You you don't owe giving them a chance and it just never bit. So I'm, I'm happy that he got a new game and it's working for you guys. That's awesome. Yeah, we haven't gotten far into it enough to really like get hooked into the story yet. I mean, we're sort of in the there's a lot of stages being set, like a lot of different plot lines are being introduced to us. Like we're finding this, you know, random guy on a shoreline that we rescue and he now joins our crew, but we don't really know who he is yet. And if we find a dinosaur egg, I'm sure nothing can go wrong with that. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> nothing wrong. Yeah. So a lot of plot lines are being introduced and we have a whole stack of cards of keywords. Like in near and far, they had this too, where you like achieve a certain keyword. And then later on, if you have that keyword, then you go to one path. Otherwise, you go on another in this whole choose your own adventure kind of game. We've got just this huge pile of keywords and having no idea what they unlock yet. So I'm very excited to see where we're actually going with all this. Awesome. Game wise, like I said, it's uh, it's actually a fairly difficult efficiency puzzle. If you go and try to beat everything you will quickly exhaust yourself and all of your resources and you will fail. So you really have to pick your battles. And it's very important to be able to do things as efficiently as possible by upgrading your characters or getting more efficient ways to cook food to eliminate your fatigue. There's real game there. It's not easy by any stretch of the imagination. It may be a hair on the fiddly side. There's these command tokens and it's not well spelled out about exactly every place you do and don't need to use them. And like, do if somebody else takes an action, do they need to spend it? There, there, there seems to be a gray area in a lot of the rules. And I'm not even going to say the rules book isn't well written. It's just that it's such a complex game. And being a storytelling game, there just is an awful lot of gray area. Yeah. It's hard as a new player to decode. Are we even playing this right? I don't know. God, I hate that feeling. There's nothing worse where it's just like, and they don't want to spoil it. So they don't want to give you like right. all the rules, but it's like, 
it just gets really frustrating if you're not sure if you're playing it right. And a lot of games like this, once they become a little more mature, will have lengthy FAQs and so forth. They'll have lengthy discussions on Board Game Geek where you can go cross-reference and ask some of these questions. And there is an FAQ for it. But other than that, there's not a lot of resources to find out answers to questions that you may have. Awesome. So anyway, positive so far. Don't know that we needed to start a new campaign game in the middle of our ongoing Gloomhaven thing. But uh, this game is beautiful. It was so compelling looking and interesting story that everybody virtually demanded to play it once it arrived. That's awesome. And you guys do like a churn. Seems like your game family likes to play a lot of different games. So giving them that option is pretty fun. Yep. That is Sleeping Gods by Ryan Lockett and Red Raven Games. (sighs) I'm going to (laughs) I'm going to give it a score. I rarely give things. It's either a 4C or a 4B. I'm not sure which. As of now, who knows if maybe the decision space will just open up. Yeah, there are a lot of rules for what it is, and the rules aren't super clearly defined yet. It's a really compelling story and compelling game, and it is hard to do. So I actually think there's more game there. So that's why I'm kind of going with 4C, but you could maybe talk me into it being 4B because it's more storytelling. I don't know. Awesome. (laughs) But thus far, I really like it. So I'm giving it a very positive review, but this one is going to kind of take a while to grok completely. Well, cool. I'm happy. Happy played it. It's cool. I'm excited to like at least look at all of the components in it and flip around with it. He really does a great job of world building and uh, doing art and presenting in a game in a fun way that really draws you in. Yeah. And this game is everything awesome about what Ryan Lockett can do. The art is beautiful. The production's beautiful. The pieces are gorgeous. There's tons of stuff there. Like there's so much content there. You could replay this thing a gazillion times and never get sick of it. And it's really a gem of a game. And it's happy to see that a lot of these Kickstarter games that we've been waiting for for a very long time, it's really makes me happy to see that when it finally arrives, it was worth the wait because that one I waited a long time for. <laughs> and yeah. Much like another one that uh, like, Jake, did I tell you my Yokohama Duel finally showed up after, wow, three years, two years, way too yeah, long. That, yeah, I don't. I don't know if we can uh, discuss this on the podcast, but it seems like TMG is not doing the best. <laughs> a lot of their yeah. stuff's really delayed. And uh, I wonder if this might be the end, especially with Modius Game Design. They used to be really partnered with them for all their printings, and they're not doing that anymore. They're doing their own thing. Be interesting. I'm, I'm happy you got it. I, I'm excited to play that. And on the topic of, wow, is this worth the wait? I haven't played it yet. Is it bring anything to the table beyond what regular Yokohama does? I don't know. Well, I sure hope so, because two-player Yokohama is bad. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm hoping it does that. Generally speaking, two-player games don't get a ton of play at our house, so I'm kind of scratching my head as to why I ordered it in the first place. But I will tell you this. Say what you want about two-player games and or TMG. Man, they know how to deluxify a game. That is their that is oh their thing. God, TM. This game is beautiful. Deluxified TM. Speaking of games arriving, I now have 250. I got notified that I got a new little geek badge when I was doing adding some games. 250, Mark. That's so many. That's me and you <laughs> adding our collections together. I believe I did it. We had like 580 individual games or something like that. Oh, Jake, Jake, Jake. Now people can reverse engineer what my total is, and we don't want that. You you have a BGG page. They can oh, that's re- a good point. Yeah, they can do it anyways. We have so many. I think we could play a new game every single year for like a year and a half. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Every single day. Well, and I, I'm even curious how you fit that many games because you have like a single Calyx unit, don't you? I have a five by five, so it is big and I do use the top and it's sure. pretty efficiently laid out. But the thing for me in my collection is the ranks. That's my issue. I buy I never get rid of small box games because 
they're usually not worth the hassle to try to sell and they don't take up a lot of space. I'm just like, I'll just have a million of them. I would imagine 120 of my games are small box games, maybe even more. Sure. Yeah, I know that that absolutely inflates my total quite a bit, too. <laughs> right. Where it's like, yeah, I don't have them. I mean, I have I've spent way too much money on these things, but they're they're small little things I've probably gotten some value out of. But we also had mini express arrive. Speaking of mini games, which I wouldn't is pretty know. Cool. You have I have my copy sitting on my uh, entryway table. My wife is very upset that I haven't gotten it to yet, um, but I, I have a little pile of things for you. And next time we see each other, I'll happily give it to you. But I was really pleasantly surprised by the publication of this game. The components are really nice. It seems like the art's really good. And uh, from what I've heard so far, people are liking it as a kind of fun cube rail with a little bit of, I'm going to put this in air quotes because it never really does it, 18xx-ish in it. Mm. They included a metal coin in the game just out of the blue, which I was pleasantly surprised by. So What? Wait a minute. Metal coins in cube rail games? It's a priority deal game, my friend. Priority uh, okay. deal. That's the only thing. I think... Yeah, why would anybody want metal coins yeah. in train games? Gosh, that's silly. I bet you I bet you we'll talk about that later. <laughs> little little, uh, little fo- uh, illusion there. Foreshadowing. So, uh, <laughs> another game that came in is... We keep getting the All Aboard Games. Games keep on getting shipped in. So oh, you I got know. a copy of 1882... What'd you think of it? What are we calling this one again? 18. Asinaboya. <laughs> Thank you. We might abbreviate that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This one's based in Canada up in Alberta. No, sure. it's, 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 it's like Saskatchewan. It's Saskatchewan. like there we Western go. Manitoba all the way to like Eastern Alberta. Yeah. Kind of little pocket 18 XX, not pocket. I mean, that makes it sound like it's 18 Lilliput and it definitely is not. It's a, uh, it's a full size, full length 18 XX game, but it's a uh, weeknight game, shall we say. It's been really fun to see Scott develop kind of an art style. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty stark still. I mean, it's not overly ostentatious or anything like that. It definitely looks like an 18xx game, but it's like if you were to dial up the niceness on the traditional like 18xx presentation, it's kind of where you'd get with this. And I, I, I really love it. I've gotten really accustomed to how it looks, and I just, I'm a huge fan. I, I think this game looks beautiful, and I've played it a couple of times in person since, and it is super cool. I'm anxiously looking forward to being able to play some 18xx in real life because I have not met up and played 18xx with anybody since this all started. So all of my plays have been online. Poker chips have gotten really hard. Like I've gotten really accustomed to uh, 18xx.games and not having to do all the little math with it. Oh, for sure. Kind of on that topic. This is a little bit of an aside. I'm very near ending a very long game of 1880. And uh, God willing, that will be my last game on board 18. I'm starting an 1837 game on there, so I'm the opposite. I've got oh. a long time to go there. Sure. But yeah, it's it's cool. I think he did a really good job with 1882. There was a reprint on the phase marker, which is kind of a bummer on each one of the charters, but it really shouldn't be an issue because like no one's going to have four trains when it comes to the fours. Sure. Somebody's usually bankrupt by the time it gets to that point. Yeah, or at least getting close. So that's that one. Got the 49 in as well. Um, Not going to lie. A little jealous. Yeah. Scott seems to be kind of going with uh, one color per each title now and kind of interacting with that color as the, mm-hmm. the thing. And so that one's all red and it looks great. I got the OG 1849 and I love it, but I'm a little jealous. But yours is slightly better. Your terrain costs are tokens. Mine are cardboard tokens instead of the uh, wooden tokens. So you're right. Mine is better. Maybe we'll have to Voltron together our our copies to get the perfect version. And then finally also got an 1822 MX and he did the same thing here with the different colors. One kind of bummer with this one is there was some overhang, but not that much. So 
Overall, I'm really happy. I, I think Scott's doing a great job with the 18xx games, and it's fun seeing his little art style develop. And I'm so happy that we have so many of these. Just seeing the uh, the the velocity of games that is coming out of his St. Louis Park headquarters has been truly impressive. Like uh, to to get that many high quality publications at a rate far beyond what anybody other than the big boys have been putting out is is really really great to see. And then we also got other 18xx games in. We got two for the price of one in 1861 and 67. Yes, we both got this one. The other one that was delayed, but COVID, not not really Josh's fault here. I mean, there no, was a sure pandemic, not. at least in my work, has absolutely destroyed the shipping industry. And so I'd imagine it's impacted his as well. This one definitely went a different way with the aesthetics. It definitely went more filigree with the kind of patterns behind each one of the charters and with the cards and the different kerning on the different letters and shoving them really close together, they took a choice. Not a huge fan of this personally, but I'm not going to say it doesn't look good. I can see that. Would you say this appeals to somebody that's likely to use choo-choo trains on their Age of Steam game? I don't know, because I feel like that's a pejorative and I don't want to sign that. <laughs> I just think this one, this one to me, <laughs> it's a funny joke though, I'm sorry. This one to me looks more like that's a um, shot of myself more than anything correct. Else. Dudes on a it, not dudes on a map. It looks like uh, what's the game where there's the Euro City of Big Shoulders. It kind of yes. looks like yeah, that aesthetic. Good, yes, yes, yes. It yes, tries to good place it, it in a time more than just putting a train on the cover and having it be a train game. It feels more 1800s y, even though it's the 1900s. Or, sure, yeah, 1800s. Pardon me. I, yeah, I'm with you on that one. I happen to like the aesthetic on both City of the Big Shoulders. I can see people making academic arguments about whether the style of this game is for them or not. But regardless, it's very well produced. It is a beautiful game for sure. Completely agree. There was some issues with the tokens. They were a little bit misshapen. So there's a lot of overhang. So I'm gonna have to go over them with a little exacto knife to cut it off, which is kind of a bummer. And there was some misprints as well. Um, there was like some strange issue, which is just such a bummer because I'm sure they had a thousand people looking at it, but certainly none of them game breaking. Yeah, absolutely. You can still play with it. So um, I'll have to fix that up. But the one bummer about this game, and I don't know what it is. I just I don't want to really pull it out. Like, I, I just don't really see like I'm happy I have it. I don't think I'm going to sell my copy. But like, I don't quite see people coming over and being like, we're playing 1861. Heck, yeah. That has nothing to do with this publication. Oh, right? I mean, yeah, if you had the if you had the all aboard game one sitting there, you'd have the same opinion. It's really I have fond, nostalgic memories of playing 1861 because it was one of the very first ones I played and we played it at Gen Con and just had a riotous experience playing it there. But since then, I think our experience has been eclipsed that one. And I'll straight up say it. I think 1867 kind of sucks yeah, like, because of the map. Like it's the same rule set functionally, but the map is awful. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not a fan of 67. It doesn't have the same issue of having late companies started, which I guess plagues our games more than other people's. But yeah, it's just it's a little too small and I just feel like it's really flat. And this also is the same thing where like I feel like all the four T's run for the exact same amount. Yeah. Yeah. You can get to Moscow pretty well or get to Detroit for or not Detroit. Pardon me. Um, get to Toronto. Toronto. I don't know. I, I, I don't love it. And I think I also have taken to 18 New England a lot. So I think I'm probably just going to kind of play that one in lieu of this one. But don't get rid of it. I'm a collector of these games. They take up yeah. a full a full row of my collection now. So yeah, and I'm definitely happy to have it in my collection. It's you know it's it's beautifully done. Taken in total, all of these things, whether it's the new publications by AAG, 
or by Grand Trunk Games or by uh, um, GMT or by GMT. I or mean, Lookout. The, Lookout's even getting back into it, too. Or Lonnie. The bar has been raised and that's good for everybody. So we're going to give an applause to everybody here that's published stuff lately. We're, we're at a new level here for sure. I also want to give a round of applause to Josh personally. My game was missing a lot of tokens. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> how the heck that happened. And there was new tokens in the mail, like instantly. So all resolved, everything stickered up. I got a complete game and I'm happy as a little girl. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to see what the uh, 1889 is going to look like and how much that's going to cost. Pretty cool stuff. So that's what we've gotten in in the last while. It's a a great time to be an 18xx player. Uh, Bad time for Jake's wallet, but otherwise having a good time. (laughs) Awesome. So that was a smooth transition into that one. But really, our theme for this episode it's going to be a little bit more of a grab bag. We we realized that Jake and I haven't actually talked gaming very much. And we had a lot of things we want to talk about. And we're just kind of bringing you along for the journey on this one. And you can sort of hear our feelings on a bunch of different things. So this is going to be a little bit more of a rapid fire topic episode. So let's get crazy. Some awkward transitions that sound like they were pre-scripted. It's because they were. <laughs> Well, we just we've always had like a grab bag of like 14 different little topics that we thought we'd throw half in here. One of those and a lot of these are here for a good reason. They're not just sort of randomly, you know, pull it from the hat and talk about something weird. This next topic is kind of top of mind for me right now, because Jake. I suck at a few games like everybody complains and just tries to be modest about this one. No, no, my friend. There are some games I'm legitimately so horrible at that I'm embarrassed to admit how bad I am at that. The problem is I really like these games and I think they're great. And I keep coming back, even though I'm just everybody's punching bag every time I play. Oh, them. dude, so, I'm sorry. Well, what's what's your overall gaming winning percentage? Because I believe in mine, you're in like 30 ish. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it depends. Um, I, I, my overall win percentage is probably 36, 37% somewhere. Right oh my there. gosh. Yours is really low for me on my stats, which is not, I don't play all the games with you. It's 22%. Oh yeah. That's cause you don't have all the plays of me beating up on my family. There it is. That's where you, that's, that's where you go. That's your, that's, that's you play AAA to get your uh, batting average real high. Well, okay. So actually I got 31% on here right now and eh, you know, I'm going to actually give a lot of credit instead of saying I suck. I'm going to give a lot of credit. I play with some really good gamers. And you do. Man, there's some people on there that uh, are just awfully tough to beat, no matter whether it's Steven or whether it's you or whether it's Phil or whether it's FEK or whether it's uh, any of the people around us. There's some people that are just awfully hard to beat. Totally. So the reason I brought this up is 1846. I just, I'm playing with a bunch of kind of newbies and I'm super struck in my craw because. I'm now like over eight playing 1846. And I finally like, you know, recruited a bunch of newbies to play thinking I would just have my way with them. And I lost two straight to them, too. (laughs) 1846 is so weird. I feel like everybody's win percentage in that is low, except for like the two people that it really makes sense for. I know. I just I love it. And I don't get it. I do think that me and you like the discovery in games. And I think that's why I'm drawn to 18xx games, because mathematically, I am bad at them. Like, I am really good at euros, not to pat myself on the back. This is just my head taking up all the air in this podcast. But I'm pretty good at euros. Like, my win percentage totally, like over all the games that I track, is 41%. And I don't play that many solo games. I don't usually include those on here. So, like, I have a 50% win rate in Age of Steam. Like, I'm, I'm pretty okay at games. But in 18xx, I'm bad at them. Like, a lot of my favorite games have, like, a 10% win rate, which is well below where I should be for the number of plays I have. Oh, 
carry you to guess what my win rate is at AOS at Age of Steam. Zero percent. Zero percent. Care to also take a swing at what my win percentage is at Great Western Trail? Oh, is it zero percent? Oh, it's going to hurt me if you say zero percent. <laughs> I have yet to win Great Western Trail. Oh my gosh, you're, you're thinking about it. It'd, it'd be great. It'd be great to be there sometime. I know. But anyway, the reason I wanted to bring this up is these are these games are our nemesis games. These are the games that we love but cannot win in spite of our best efforts. Right. One of these days, Jake. One of these days. One of those days. You've got to have a nemesis game or two besides just kind of saying I'm bad at 18xx. You've got to have a game or two out there that you just can't grok. Correct. Great Western Trail, the same thing. I mean, I've played that game 10 times and I've won twice or three times, so very low. Scythe is a weird one. I don't know if I wasn't tracking right or what, but I've played that game 10 times and my win percent is one. What? <laughs> I don't know if other people were just things, but I do think that kind of goes to a bigger point. I think I struggle with Euro games with a lot of tech trees and you have to do a little bit of everything when really you should do like one thing pretty hard and make sure you don't let the other stuff lament. Ha <laughs> I got something I can lord over you here. What's that? I got eight plays of Scythe. Guess what my win percentage is? 50%. Zero. (laughs) (laughs) Who are we playing with that are these goods? And this is after I talked about how good I'm at Euro games. Like, well, yeah, I I have a number of friends that have literally played this dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And I've played it eight times. So I don't have a prayer playing against them. And they're the ones that want to play it all the time. Awesome. Well, just four things. I have a 90% win rate in Roll for the Galaxy. (laughs) An 83% (laughs) win rate in Nine Tiles. 75 in Imperial Settlers and 75 in number nine. Apparently I'm just the best. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. I think, I think there's something to be said of wanting to have a challenge. And I think we're drawn towards financial games because we're bad at them. It's kind of our, our thing. I'm laughing because if I look at my highest win percentage, and by the way, we're getting this from the almighty geek group dot app. If you're not familiar with this, you really should be. It's an amazing way of tracking your gaming habits. If you log all your plays. My highest win percentages are Decrypto at 83%. The DC Comics deck building game, which is hot garbage. But you for are, some reason, I'm good at it. You're big on the community. You're on the forums. Everybody knows the, the furious Mark Teske, <laughs> the DC deck building game. I, I've won an outsized number of Seven Wonders Duel games. I've won two thirds of the games of Terraforming Mars I've played, which is amazing because I hate the game. <laughs> Because you're good at it. You don't you don't like to play games you're good at. And uh, this, to nobody's surprise, I've got a 67% win rate at playing Twa and nine plays. That'll do it. Track your stats, kids. You get to make fun little musings about things like this over time. So we saw a cool post the other day on, where'd you see this? Was this on Reddit? I'm pretty sure it was on Reddit, yeah. Yeah, so the guy took those cardboard tokens that you draw out of a bag. Like, imagine, what's that game with the, uh, the cauldron? Quaxa Quedlinburg. Quaxa Quedlinburg, where it's like they just get Orleans yeah, or they just get is another one. up because they're just being yeah. used a lot, but you don't want to like buy the replacement. Someone was putting like, what was it, epoxy on top? And the like surface tension of the epoxy was doing it up into like a droplet. Yeah, it was jeweler's resin actually. And it was sweet. Kind of like it's sort of a hot glue like substance, but it dries like crystal clear and hard. And yeah, they end up becoming like, uh, like clear lozenges. They're really beautiful. And the like, it also kind of makes the colors pop out, too. Yeah. I don't know. I got to try this on a game because it looked really cool. Another thing I've seen people do is they'll put these in coin cases, but that is so unesthetically pleasing. No, and probably expensive, too, right? I mean, buying. I don't, them, know. I don't know. And, and it wouldn't work with Quaxa Quedlinburg because they're not round shaped things. Well, there's just too many. 
Because I know in um, the community for the Arkham Horror card game, the LCG, they they do that with all the tokens. It's kind of a big thing people do. It's cool. I mean, there's there's something to be said about cardboard tokens being good and accessible and cheap, but making those nice might be something I'll be excited to see if you can do a little craft corner and uh, figure that out. I see consistency being the bigger problem, though. You know, I'm wondering, you know, let's say you've got 60 tokens to do. How consistent are you going to be able to make those things? And that's that's the thing I'm kind of curious. I mean, maybe it sort of just works, you know, or maybe it doesn't matter. Like, you know, those bags of glass beads that are on every candle holder and every wedding. You know what I'm talking about? Like those things aren't even kind of consistent yet. They still kind of feel good in your hand, even though they may not be exactly the same. And maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm excited to see if you do it. And if you've made these, let us know. We, We like crafts. Hopefully it's not something that has a high risk factor of screwing up your game. That would <laughs> that would suck. You're like, I did one and it ruined the piece. Oh, no. My game's ruined. So speaking of ruining a game, nothing ruins your game night more than AP analysis paralysis. Um, this has always been a topic that we thought we should go over because I am locally known as, how should I put this? The bad guy. I'm making sure people play <laughs> quickly. The taskmaster. The taskmaster. Because, and I love everybody and I love our game group and and, and nobody who's in the game group should read into this. I, I, I love spending time with you guys, but I really don't like when people waste my time. And we play every single Wednesday, usually when there's not a raging pandemic going on. So we have a lot of chances to get back in there and replay that game. It is about playing the game. And what's that quote? The goal is to win, but it is about the, the goal that is important, not the winning. Is that, the, yeah. is that the quote? The famous Dr. Reiner Knizia said that, actually. When playing a game, the goal is to win, but it is the goal that is important, not the winning. Right. We're all agreeing that that's what's important. We're going to play towards that, but let's not, let's, not be, let's not be crazy. So here's some strategies that I have that work really well. To start off, being just a mean person works really well. You kind of have to have that as your, as your go-to. <laughs> Okay, it, so step back. I wouldn't just recommend starting to just light somebody up. Oh, I'm you kidding. Know? Yeah, that, that's a joke one. Be polite. That's the main thing. You're here with your friends. <laughs> We've all signed a social contract. Don't be actually mean. But to be fair, Jake, you've been tough on uh, slow players enough times that you kind of can get away with murder with just telling people to hurry the hell up. And, Correct. Yeah. I've, and I've, nobody I've, thinks you're being a jerk because yeah, like, th- that's just oh, normal. It's, 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 yep. it's, within the, it's, it's within my normal operating limits. But to be honest, the real things that I've kind of thought are three different points. For one, you need to tell people when your turn's over. And I hate game groups that don't do this because especially in our game group where we're all really good friends, we'll just chat for a while. And I love chatting. Don't get me wrong. But the three people who are not taking their turn can be chatting or maybe the two and a half because one person is about to take their turn to kind of focus on what he's going to do or she's going to do for that matter. Um, So making sure it's pretty normal in the group to say, okay, Mark, I'm done. You're up. Yep. Big thing. The number one thing, too, is chat. But we can also, it's not rude while you're playing games to not make eye contact. Stare at the game board while somebody's making a turn and glance at that person you're talking to. Kind of bounce between both and force watching the game board and knowing the game state when it's not your turn. And that's just a good courtesy thing because it's helpful. I mean, there are some games like Santa Monica is a perfect example. When I just took my turn, there is no point to watch the board for a while. It's going to change so much by the time it's going to come back that it's kind of worthless for me to try to go. Unless I'm trying to suss out what the person next to me is doing or whatever. I think you bring up an excellent point there, though, Jake. I mean, a lot of times I'll try to be a champion of saying things like, hey, have an overriding strategy, mentally eliminate the things that don't matter. And then just sort of narrow down to option A or option B. But the, the pushback I get on that one is, yeah, but the board changes so much. It's pointless. I need to figure it out all over again when it comes around to my turn. 
that's what you do when it's not your turn is the thinking. But what about the case when it changes so much that you can't really evaluate it until it's your turn? Then we go to the point of part three. If you know people are slow, and I, I have certain gamers that I play with, I love to death, and I love playing games with them, but they have to reevaluate every 10 options. Let's say a worker placement game, there's 10 places to play, or 10 not. They have to do each individual one instead of saying, well, I'd like to do this. What are my ways I can do that? They'll have to evaluate each option and what that does for them this turn. Give them games with a little bit less of an open game choice decision space. Yeah. Game choice for the game, like like selecting the game for the right group, is a hard thing to do. But if you know somebody is AP, stay away from games that are AP prone. AP being analysis paralysis. Yeah, there are certainly games in my collection that I will have to pick battles on. That you know, there are games that I would play with you because I know you're not going to go down an AP rabbit hole with this game, and it'll move along quickly. Right. I mean, and and like Terraforming Mars is the quintessential example. That game can take six hours if you're playing with the wrong person, or it can take an hour and a half, which is how much it should take if you're playing with the right people. Oh, for sure. The one I'm uh, the one that's on my danger list right now, which is the, also the game I'm kind of most excited about playing, is Uva Rosenberg's latest Hallertau. Mm. Um, massive Uva Rosenberg fan. I've heard it's a big game and it's kind of AP prone. Hmm. Interesting. hmm. I think that there's definitely a, um, you know, encouraging people to sort of pre-triage your moves, right? Mentally, instantly eliminate the things that make zero sense. You know, don't explore every rabbit hole. And as a game runner, know your crowd and pick something that's going to have the greatest amount of success for your crowd. Exactly. And it, it does take a while. AP is not the most evident thing while you're reading the rules or preparing for a game. So you're going to get some stinkers. We've all had stinkers where we sit down and we're like, this game's going to do great. And everybody hates it. But yeah. having those stinkers helps you be a better game selector and a better game partner and makes you a better person altogether. So. And I also think, you know, on the topic of knowing your crowd, certainly some crowds just they just play at a slow pace. And you're the if you want to play fast, you're the odd man out. And, you know, you, you do sort of have to when in Rome those cases. Totally. Do you want to know what games have no AP, Mr. Mark? Hmm. Our next topic. Bingo. Ro- <laughs> Correct. Roland writes, they have like no AP because everybody's taking turns concurrently. Have you not watched Steven play Metro X? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I guess that was take a while. It breaks his <laughs> little brain. I'm mean, going to love it. So circa, I don't know, two years ago, probably when we kind of first started this podcast, we were just the hot boys playing the, the new trends. And the hot boy trend at that point in time was roll and rights. And it was taken over the world by storm. And we were. That was 2019 in a nutshell. Roll and write, roll and write, roll and write. Yeah. And we were just along for the roll, along for the right. We were just being swept away in the fun of rolling and writing. (laughs) And quite candidly, looking back on it, I kind of cringe because I think a lot of people that maybe, I'm not going to say further along, but have played a lot of games didn't bite as much as we did and we did and i kind of regret it so why don't we talk about where we stand now with rolling rights and how we feel about them why don't you start mark yeah i'm as guilty as anybody else you know boy i I acquired a whole pile of rolling right games in 2019 and some of them have stood the test of time and some of them some of them didn't quite honestly and some of them that didn't were some that were pretty well-known titles and pretty popular and I've sort of realized that there's a time and a place for every roll and write, and some of them aren't at my place. Right. So, <laughs> so you know, I have been kind of mentally culling the herd, if not physically culling the herd. Unfortunately, a lot of these are small games that are part used up and so functionally have no value to get rid of. But the number of roll and write games that I'm now interested in playing in, in 2021 is called way, way, way back. How about you, Jake? 
Yeah, I I've gotten rid of a few too. So I got rid of Imperial Settlers, which I traded for. It's just why why would I play that when I could just play Imperial Settlers, like the regular sure. game? I don't need to get the rolling right. I got so my biggest game I think of the last Gen Con I went to was Railroad Inc. Red and blue, and I was so hot in these games. I thought they were so cool because it was like drawing and trains and really well produced. It was made by Cool Mini or Not, um, the division who also did Dragon Castle. So really yep. good production. Yep. And I've never once played them like since I got home. And I had two copies, both the green and the or the blue and the red, pardon me. So I still have the blue one, but I think that's going on the go away pile. And then I got rid of Welcome 2 after splurging for the big old Kickstarter with all the different special versions. Yeah, that's actually one of the first ones I got rid of, too. I, you know, I know it was very popular. It was very well regarded. And for some reason, it never really landed with me. And I don't know why. It was just one that it seemed just like an activity. I was never at the edge of my seat to do this thing. I, I, I don't know. It was fine. Right. It was incredibly fine. And with a dozen or so rolling rights in the closet, I didn't need to hang on to ones that were fine. Right. So the ones that I have kept are Let's Make a Bus Route, which, to be fair, is not a roll and write. It is a no. game that could be made with sticks that they made the production decision to make it with pens instead. Yep. I mean, there are some things that plays out like a roll and write. Like the scoring is 1000% roll and write. Correct. But it you could know, just you be get a this, Euro. this combination of things and this combination of things and you score so many points that it definitely plays out like that. But yes, you could very well just as easily have a score tracker on the outside of that board and sticks. And when you complete a route with sticks, then you add up so many points onto your score track, a thousand percent. Totally. And you're all on a shared board, which is totally weird for most rolling rights where they're actually, you're on your own board and you're just doing the, the numbers or what everybody shares, not necessarily the board. Are you aware that there is a let's make a bus route, the dice game coming out? Mm. No, I was aware of the Kyoto edition mm. because I wanted it, but mm. I did not get that version. But it's, it's a good game. I can see that for sure. That's 100% never leaving my collection either. It's it's uh, It gets played a lot at our house. The second one that is like a almost a podcast defining game for us, uh, high on both of our top 20 lists and so forth, is Metro X, a game that just can't seem to wear out its welcome. It's difficult. It's engaging. It's unique. Man, I, I absolutely love this game. And the other thing that I absolutely love about this game is the community has really responded to it, too. I swear every other week in my board game geek thread, there is somebody that is publishing a new map, for, a new fan designed map for this game. Oh, sweet. And there's literally dozens of them out there now. And like major cities, like there's a New York City metro. I saw a London one too. I subscribed London. to it on BGG and it's fun to just click through and be like, oh, cool. One that's a new addition and I don't think is super popular is a game called Encore, which is actually known by Nachmal in Germany. I think my daughter plays the solo version of that virtually every day that's one that i have enjoyed quite a bit and then finally still on my list is la granja no siesta which predates the roll and write trend by quite a bit and i think is still one of the uh, more difficult and more complex one of them and i i enjoy it just for i don't know i just like it i don't have a good reason for it <laughs> it's a little heavier and it's a little more involved of a game kind of in the same way let's make a bus route is Right. You don't block, but you are. It feels more racy than Welcome To does. There's actual tension there. Right. Exactly. It's fun that we have them, but I do think that the world was getting a little too bubbly about the uh, roll and write world. They're not everything in a bag of chips. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I certainly have seen the tempo of new roll and writes drop dramatically over the past few years. And we're probably settling in on what's probably a sustainable number of roll and writes going forward. 
Speaking of, I've, Jake, I've got my 18th century spyglass out right now. I'm at one end of a telegraph line looking down the iron rails off into the horizon. Yeah. And is that a bubble I see, Jake? Am I am I seeing a an 18xx shaped bubble coming at me right now? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, so I think this is only on the fact that there's a silly Kickstarter out there. I think without the silly cart Kickstarter, we say, <laughs> okay, train games are getting a little bit more normal because train games have always existed in trains. I mean, hell, there is Ticket to Ride, which is like the game, and that's a train game. For sure. But yeah. there's a silly Kickstarter by Amadeus Game Design for metal coins for 18xx. <laughs> Why? I, so... Those of you that don't play train games on the regular, we've all standardized on poker chips as being the way to go. Yeah, a lot of these games can't come with paper money for some ungod knows reason. Some, you know, because we love the, ways. the one person that buys the game that doesn't know what he's buying and needs to play it out of the box. You know, we've all actually some of us have spent more money than others on having really nice sets oh, of poker chips to play these with. So much. And with metal coins, you end up with something that is both unstackable and harder to read and heavy Heavier, so it messes up your table a whole bunch well it depends on the sizing but like i eat poker chips all around the table because they're relatively light and they're not gonna ding up my table too bad they slide nicely and yeah i just don't really get who this is for and it kind of feels bad dunking on a kickstarter that's most likely that's it didn't race up beyond the stretch goals and all that stuff i don't even know if it's gonna get funded but I just don't understand who would want this. And I thought it'd be worthwhile bringing it up because if you have any questions on poker chips, I am not the like most proficient poker chip person in the 18x community. It's a lot more people above me. However, I set some very strange parameters on myself while I was researching them. So I ended up having to research a lot because I had very weird parameters on what kind of poker chips I'd like. So I know what's out there fairly well. If you ever have any questions, just shoot me a note. I'm happy to chat about it. We can talk about it. That sounds fun because there's a lot of really good ones out there. And there's a lot of stinkers out there. So taking this to the absurd because, you know, hey, at the end of the night, let's make it absurd. Let's do it. I'm excited about some new future Kickstarter options for 18xx games. Number one, neoprene mats for 18xx game. That's got to happen, right? We have neoprene mats for Root. We have neoprene mats for Feudum. Neoprene mat for 1830. Let's get her done. I cannot wait for the day that FFG does an 18xx game now that they're so popular. Right. That should be interesting. Cool mini or not 18xx game. I'm excited about that one, you know, because I'm thinking the miniature possibilities for every little train station. God, can you like imagine? A, can you imagine oh, what would happen? Oh, wait a minute, Jakey Stegmeyer. Stonemeyer Games needs to do an 18xx with like little clay buildings that stands up. And then and then. <laughs> so I, I will be interested to see outside of our weird little niche realm. Is there actually a bubble on train games or is it just that like our perceived group of people are getting like our segment of the hobby is getting more into rail games? Firmly objectively. I mean, you look at the Kickstarter numbers that uh, people like like uh, Grand Trunk Games and All Aboard Games have done with uh, recent Kickstarters. I mean, those are numbers that even mass market Euro games would have been happy with. That's fair. Again, this is all good that people are getting uh, exposed to train games. And we're taking this tongue in cheek. But, uh, you know, I, I hope this bubble doesn't go too far because we do not need a mini chalk train game at all well it's funny because i've actually collected a lot of the cube rail games but i don't know why i don't really like a lot of them <laughs> like i would say my hit rate on cube rail games is like 50 percent. half of them i just like don't like but there's a lot of them so i'm just i don't know I, th I think they lend themselves to like pretty 
good design language stuff. And it seems to have a pretty good community of like a thousand people who kickstart every single 18xx game. Maybe it's more like 2000 and half the people kickstart all of them and other ones pop in and out. Sure. But I don't know. I, I just feel like we're in a golden age of trains and I don't think it's bad yet. I just think it seems really big because we went from like nothing to like a moderately sized niche in a hobby. Yeah, that's for sure. And so again, tongue in cheek, look at the industry and, uh, you know, I'm okay with it continuing. But not too far. <laughs> you don't want uh, train stations like uh, railways of the world. I might have to start gamekeeping at that point. I'm happy. Just become a disc guy, dude. Just like give up on the the shaped little trains in Age of Steam. Become a disc guy. Become a what we call them train griefer. Become a weird train <laughs> a steam, guy. A, a steam griefer. Steam uh, griefer. Correct. Yeah. Shout out to Craig Taylor of the Train Rush who coined this one. That we were trying to think of a uh, equivalent of the word grognard. You know, grognard means like an old uh, crotchety wargamer guy. We're like, what's the equivalent in the uh, train world? And Craig came up with steam griefer, and <laughs> he, we immediately trademarked it and decided it would be cannons. And then grognard's also a complaining soldier in the French army. Of- also appropriate. I think it's like a combination of two French words put together. Because I, when I said it to my French friend, he like laughed a lot because he thought it was like a fun like anglif- anglification <laughs> of a game of a name. So, anywho, so yeah, that was uh, those are trains. There's there's a lot of cool trains out there. And speaking of cool, Jake, God dang, it was cool having you back again. I missed you, buddy. Yeah, it's it's a bummer. I think if we known how long it would have went on, we probably would have had me go every other so much. I've just I've been out of games, which is a bummer. But the end is in sight. The light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully I'll get stuck sometime soon and we'll get back together and hanging out. Be fun. Like I've said in many, many facets of my life, I am cautiously optimistic about the prospects for the second half of 2021 or sooner. Yeah, totally, man. Totally fun stuff. Hopefully uh, this reaches you all well. Uh, Hopefully you're surviving all of this. Hopefully you've managed to find your way into a vaccine. And uh, hopefully we can find a way to all game with y'all at our earliest opportunity. So we'll wrap things up here for the Gaming Moguls. I'm Mark. And I'm Jake. Good night, everybody. This has been the Gaming Moguls podcast, co-hosted by Mark Teske and Jake Klopfenstein. Please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Feel free to join our Board Game Geek Guild, guild number 3431. Find us on Instagram and Twitter, at Gaming Moguls. Or reach us via email, jake at gamingmoguls.com or mark at gamingmoguls.com. If you like the Gaming Moguls podcast, please tell a friend. Thanks for listening.